we're missing a lot of things right now, aren't we? One of the things I love to do is travel. I'm missing the opportunity to fly, so much so I'm even remembering fondly the pre-flight safety instructions that take place just before you take off. You know how it goes, typically it's a steward or stewardess. They raise up the safety instruction booklet asking you to have a look, it's in front of you in your seat and they begin to talk to you about the seat belts and how they work, how they are oxygen masks that are gonna drop down out of the sky if we get into thin air and really bad turbulence, how to put it on, and then where the life jackets are, how to blow them up, where the aisles go, how, the, how they will be lit up, and even the exit rows in case you had to land in something like an ocean. As that's all going on though, you look around you and people are reading a book. Uh, some people are reading their tablet, others are in a quiet conversation with one another. No one is paying attention because it's just not gonna happen, right? In the New Testament, uh, it begins with the four gospels, which are historical records of the life of Jesus Christ. And in it, in each gospel, he talks to his disciples about the fact that he's gonna leave them and then he's gonna return. It's gonna be like a homeowner of a big estate who's gonna leave and he's gonna leave everything in charge with his, with his managers. One day he's gonna come back and he's gonna ask them to give an account for the things that they've done in his absence. Over and over again, Jesus tells his disciples, be ready for that. But here we are 2,000 years later, and even as Peter writes, the end of all things is at hand. Who's paying attention? Not in my lifetime, right? On January 15, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 began their pre-flight safety talk, got that done, started to take off from New York, eventually gonna reach Seattle. But after three minutes, they hit a flock of Canadian geese, got into the engine, they lost complete power, and in the next few minutes, the most harrowing but miraculous landing took place in the Hudson River in the middle of Manhattan. And suddenly, those pre-flight safety instructions became of critical importance. It did happen. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. That word end refers to a goal or outcome of God's purposes. At hand is translated drawing near. The early disciples considered themselves as we are to be living in the last days. When Jesus came, he fulfilled and set into motion so much of what the Old Testament prophets talked about. It's like Jesus started the clock ticking. Can you hear it? Tick, tick, tick. And if it was drawing near in Peter's day, how much more is it drawing near in our day, leading up to the end, the coming, the return of Jesus Christ? If you believe Jesus, it will happen. If you believe his apostles, it will happen. And for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's going to be so surreal, so amazing, so good. And if you're watching today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, what I'm going to talk about now can be true of you by expressing your faith in him. We're going to see Jesus as he is. It will be glorious beauty that we've never seen with our eyes before. Suddenly, we're going to realize that we have a new body, a resurrected body. We'll be introduced to our new world a new heaven and a new earth. We're gonna be reunited with people that we knew in Jesus Christ in the present, but also reunited with believers in Jesus from the past and the future. At some point, books will be open. There'll be a book of life. And because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, our names will be written into it. 
Another book will be opened which uh, records all our activity. And though we don't deserve it, they will be used to give us rewards for what we've done in this present life. Amazing. Like we're going to jump up and down. It's true. It's true. I mean, I might even dance. Shocking. And it's not that you and I didn't believe it, but it's something different when you taste it, touch it, feel it. When your faith is now experiencing what you've always longed for, hoped for. Because what Jesus talked about, what his disciples talked about was true. It has happened. The end is at hand, Peter writes. Let's remember Peter is writing to a people who have a story. And included in their story is, is the experience of suffering. Today we have our story and, and we're in a season and a time where there is a lot of difficulty on so many levels for so many people. But Peter wants to remind us that our story is embedded in a bigger story, God's story of which we are a part, which brings so much hope to our lives. And as we believe in that, God's story then begins to shape us differently so that we can live ready for a soon and coming return. God's story will shape what you think. God's story will shape what you do. God's story shapes what motivates you. Peter has already written in his first chapter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So after that, Peter encourages the suffering believers to, to walk faithfully, to walk in obedience through that. And now here again, he's drawing us to the fact that the end is coming and that we can live ready for that as we allow God's story to shape what we think. The end of all things is at hand, Peter says. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And we might wonder, where, where did Peter, Peter come up with that? Well, Peter isn't just bringing these thoughts out of thin air. Peter was a close follower of Jesus Christ. And listen to what Jesus had to say in Luke chapter 21. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Peter was echoing the words of his Savior, Jesus Christ. In light of the fact that the end is at hand, he says, we need to think differently. Be self-controlled and be sober-minded, he says. That word self-controlled is also translated to be of sound judgment. In other words, weigh out your decisions for today in light of, of the longevity of eternity. Sometimes when uh, couples are getting married, they, they spend so much time focusing on the day and they, they mortgage their financial future on the day when they have potentially, Lord willing, decades to live for. Peter says, Look at your today in light of eternity. Exercise sound judgment, he says. Be sober-minded. That word's also translated. Stay awake. We can see that exact translation in 1 Thessalonians 5 when it talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night 
while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So listen to this. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. There's that word. And be sober. Three times in his letter here, Peter talks about being sober-minded. Don't let the cares of this world lull you into a spiritual sleep. Be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. God's story shapes what we think. God's story shapes what you do. And the first thing that, can, that Peter thinks of when it comes to our activity is the activity of prayer. And this is so appropriate, isn't it? Because if we are going to do what God wants us to do, we can't do that on our own strength. We need the very help of God. And where do we get that? Prayer. Prayer becomes that connection between us and God and his power and his strength. Jesus told us that if we go back to Luke chapter 21. He talked about how we need to pray that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of man. Soon after Jesus said those words, uh, Jesus went into the most difficult, turbulent time of his life as he approached the upcoming arrest, his beating, his crucifixion. And how did he prepare, prepare for that? Well, he went to the garden and he prayed and he prayed. What does he tell us to do? Pray. What does Peter assume that we will do? Pray. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. Prayer is a privilege, and it's best done both as an individual, but also in community with other people. So I know at Central Heights, there are people that are praying in pockets, and I wanna commend you for that today. We have youth group that, our youth group that meets every week online. We have our young adults that meet every week to pray online. We have three open meetings for, for prayer to happen at Central, Lights, where Central Heights, where people can just click on our website on, on a button that says engage in prayer. Go to that, they can click on the link and at the appropriate time, join a bunch of people on a Zoom call to pray. And oh, how I want to encourage us as the people of God to pray. You know, someone says, hey, I, I, I'd like to grow deeper in my relationship with God. Pray. I want to know God better. I don't feel his presence. I just don't feel like God is real. Pray. I want to be part of a church where the spirit is moving and God is doing spectacular things. Have I seen you at the meeting to pray? Now, I know there's all kinds of barriers when it comes to prayer and especially in, in praying with others, but I think we need to see the gold of prayer and corporate prayer in particular to push through whatever inconvenience, whatever uncomfortableness there is for us to get to what is so very important. You know, you can't play hockey if you don't learn to skate, and yet skating is very difficult to learn at the start. And it's best learned in, with the help of others, and so it is with prayer. It's a privilege, best done as an individual, but also in connectivity with others. So today I want to give you an invitation. Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. You can click on that Zoom link and together we can pray. It's a great time. I know it's early, but you can just roll out of bed. You don't have to drive anywhere and pray. It's such a great start to your day. 
Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. You know, if you've got little children, they're probably in bed by then, and you can just click onto that link, and together we can call upon God to pray. Sunday mornings at 8 a.m., you can click on that link and prepare ourselves if you're doing church at home that day, as together we pray. Maybe for you it could be once a month or once every two months. Maybe for you it could be once a week or once, you know, twice a week. Imagine if each of us took a shift. Like I can hardly imagine what God would do in his church if we all committed ourselves together to pray. God's story shapes what we think. God's story shapes what we do. Peter says it will begin with prayer, but it doesn't stop there. It continues into love. Next verse, verse 8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You know, sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody about Christianity, and they sort of intimate or outright say, Christianity is a crutch. And I go, like, are you kidding me? Do you know what a big ask it is to follow Jesus? Like when we are told to love one another, it's not like this. We'll do it when you have this fuzzy feeling towards one another. In Christianity, love is defined by laying your life down for another person in the way that Jesus laid his life down for us. It's costly. It's challenging. But that's the love of Christ that we are called to. Peter says, love one another earnestly, he says, keep on doing this. So it's, it's not like a one-time thing that we fulfill. This is to be a, like a mode of operation in our lives. We love, we give our lives away, and we do it over and over again. And Peter challenges us even further by using this word. We're to do it earnestly, like with zeal and with passion. That word earnestly is the same word that's used to describe how Jesus prayed just before he was crucified in the garden. And Luke tells us, that it was like he sweat drops of blood. Intensity, we're to love one another like that. God, help us. This is a great love in a world today where it seems like criticism is at an epidemic. In our personal relationships, when we love one another, we make things right, and then instead of bringing up sins to lord it over someone or continue to damage and hurt them, love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah, God's story shapes what you think. God's story shapes what you do. It leads to, to loving one another earnestly. And Peter right away, rather than let our love be something sort of fictitious, gives, a, gives us a concrete example of where that can express itself. He says in verse 9, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality without grumbling. You know, the word hospitality is, comes together from two Greek words. One is philo, which means love. The other is xenos, which means stranger or foreigner. So you've heard of xenophobia. Well, hospitality is the exact opposite of that. We are so uh, consumed today with the subject of racism and the wrongness of that, the injustice of it. Well, the hospitality that Peter is talking about is the exact reverse of that. We know in the Christian community it was quickly formed of all nations and races, Jew and Gentile. We know it was, it was formed by people in different social strata, the slave even, and the free, gender. Every, every um, partition between people, whether it was their race or social status or even gender, was eliminated 
because of faith in Jesus Christ. All were accepted equally as brothers and sisters in him with a new identity in Jesus. And hospitality was the great sign of acceptance with one another. Show hospitality, Peter says, without grumbling. Now you may want to ask, why does he add that little caveat, grumbling? Because Peter's a realist. He knows that if we're going to be hospitable to one another, even in our world today, it's not necessarily going to be easy. It can be an inconvenience. In your relationships, you may be sort of filled up with the connectivity that you have with family and friends. And to welcome a stranger or a foreigner means to open yourself up, to make room for someone else who may look differently than you do, who may act differently and and have different perspectives than you do. There's an inconvenience to it. There's even a physical cost, could be a financial cost to it. I don't really have the gift of hospitality, but in days when we could meet together physically, and and that'll happen again soon enough. I would host groups in my home. Uh, One of my um, greatest times of of being hospitable really was a mid-sized community group from Central Heights. And so we met bi-weekly, and it was both a benefit and it was costly to me. So because we met every two weeks, that meant that I had to clean my house every two weeks. Well, that was an incredible benefit. But there was also a cost to it. Um, in, in my life of hosting, walls would get dented. A chair was broken. I remember one time, I think God has a sense of humor, because I used to work in the carpet industry, and so I can always sort of, I'm always cognizant of carpet and whether it's good and what, it, what shape it's in. And, and one night after a particular meeting, I don't know if it was my mid-sized community group or whatever, but as I'm looking, I'm, I see these stains on my carpet. They never got removed. I could grumble about that. But you see, if I allow God's story to shape my thinking and what I do, I can look at those stains now as precious remnants of relationship with people that matters. We're on a journey together in God's story. Show hospitality to, to one another, Peter says, without grumbling. God's story shapes what you think. God's story shapes what you do. It leads to, to love. It leads to hospitality. And then Peter tells us it also leads to the use of our gifts. As each has received a gift, he says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. One of the beautiful things of God's community of faith is that each one of us has been given a gift. This is why it's so important for us to to be in community with one another. Because each of us have a gift to give one another and to, we need to receive from the gifts of others so that together, collectively, we can grow together in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We will never be what God wants us to be apart from what you and I have to give and receive as we relate to one another. Now you may be thinking, well, I'd, I don't know if I really have much to give. Peter wants to remind each one of us how potent your gift is because it's given to you by God. There's many ways in the New Testament that gifts are, are listed. Peter simply divides them basically into two categories. One is speaking. 
And so he says, whoever speaks, let him speak as the very words, the oracle of God. Now that's potent. He says, whoever serves, whether it's a gift of mercy or hospitality, maybe it's craftsmanship. Whoever serves, let him do it as one who has the strength that God supplies. That's potent. Peter uses the same word strength there that Paul uses to refer in Ephesians chapter 1 to the very might that raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, as you think you're just making a meal for someone, understand and know if you, if you have that gift of serving in that capacity, God's resurrection power is actually working in you to carry out that gift. It's potent. Never downplay the gift that God has given you. We need one another. And we need the sharing of gifts that God has given to you and to me so that we can grow together into him as one community of faith under Jesus Christ. Now, I know in, in this season of isolation, it can be a little more difficult for us to, to give and to receive the gifts that God has given to us. I do so miss the corporate large gathering of Central Heights Church and, and mingling with one another, and even in that, sharing our gifts with one another. But know that we can still be the church intentionally today as, as restrictions are lessened in our provincial uh, by our provincial government here in British Columbia, you know, soon we're going to be able probably to meet in groups of six to 12 people. We could come together and we could share our faith and life in Jesus Christ. We would suggest sort of a, a dual rhythm of watching church at home together on the weekend and then meeting either weekly or bi-weekly together just to share, hey, what is God teaching you? What is God sharing with you? Share a few thoughts from scripture, pray together, share your life together, talk about how you can make a difference in your community together as each one takes his gift and then shares it with one another. Wow, what an impact that could have. When we went through our dream series at Easter time here, we talked about the practice of I see in you. So even today, maybe you're part of a watch party or you're together with a small group of people or maybe even just your family. The idea of saying to one another, hey, I see in you this gift. To call it out in one another, to encourage one another in that gift, to pray into that gift. Now that is the community of Christ in action. God's story shapes what you think. God's story shapes what you do. It leads to love, to hospitality, to the stewardship of the gifts that God has given to us. So we exercise that in intentional community. Lastly, God's story shapes what motivates you. Peter draws us to that at the end of his little section here. He says all these things need to happen in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. For whatever reason, in the last little while, I've been looking at, reading, watching about stories of expedition to the top of Mount Everest. I mean, it's a crazy thing. Uh, it's highest peak in the world, over 29,000 feet at the level where airplanes fly and and people in, in our world have this desire to, to make the trek, to, to conquer it and get to that peak. And it's a serious investment. Experts would tell you you should probably plan for about five years if you plan on doing it. If you're starting basically from scratch, uh, you need to get some experience under your belt and climbing lesser peaks. 
Um, as you approach and you're ready for it, it's going to cost you a considerable amount of money, like potentially 40000 up to even 100000 depending on the, the guides and instructors that you're going to use, the equipment that you're going to want to use. Uh, you have to climatize when you get there. Uh, really, you, you're looking at about three months from the beginning of just being there till the time you get up to the peak, if you can make it, and getting back down to the bottom. As you get closer, and you, let's say you've made it to the base camp, and then you're going to start that journey, that trek up to the peak, your body's going to experience all kinds of difficulty. You, you can expect like extreme fatigue, cold at times, the Chapping of the lips, vomiting. Uh, you're going you're gonna to feel so many times like you want to quit. And yet people will do this. And they want to do this. Why? Because of the challenge, yes, but more than that. Because of the glory of that majestic, of that beautiful peak, the highest point of the world, and reaching that place, knowing that you've been there and seeing the glory of it. Peter wants to remind us that though our lives may be filled with difficulty, we are part of a bigger story where there's a much bigger glory, a much bigger goal, a much bigger end that we could ever imagine. We can only see it by our faith, but we are pointed to it. The glory of God made possible through Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. When we place our life and our faith in him, he puts us into the story in a position that we are headed towards spending eternity in the glory of God, the one who made the mountains and forever live with him as we look at him, as we experience his world and his glory. Now that's a story worth living for. That's a story worth paying the price for. To him, Peter says, belong glory and dominion, not just for a little while, but forever and ever. Amen. As you are watching today, maybe you know that you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, that the story we're talking about and the end, the glorious end that we're talking about wouldn't be true of you because you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. That can be changed today. It took a lot for Jesus to be able to offer this to you. It took his life, his death, a brutal crucifixion, but also his resurrection to say to you that, hey, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. You can become part of his grand story of eternal life with him. I'm going to say a prayer, and if today you want to join me in that and surrender your life to Jesus and have your story embedded into his, I encourage you to do that. If you're watching today and you realize that maybe you've been carried away with things that are really so insignificant in light of the pursuit of the glory of God, then I invite you to join me in this prayer. And I think all of us can agree with what I'm going to ask of God for him to be the guiding power, our everything are all. Jesus, today, just want to surrender my life to you again. I want to thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, for dying for my sins. I ask you today to forgive me of all my wrongdoings and rebellion against you. Come into my life. I ask you to be Lord of my life. Empower me by your Holy Spirit and help me to live forever 
in pursuit of a relationship with you so that I can give you glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to continue in worship now in a song that really points us to the possibility of the future of the story because of all the things that Jesus Christ has done for us. I invite you to enter in with your heart fully engaged as we worship him. <laughs>